0: This is the Car Dealer podcast driven by CarGurus. You want the best return for your advertising budget and CarGurus piston heads are focused on the same goal. With them, you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites. Connect with in-market high-quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourt. For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you.
1: Welcome back to the Car Dealer podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray and up against me today, once again, is James Batchelor, Car Dealer's Associate Editor. I have got that right, haven't I? You have yes, that's oh, uh, spot on. Fantastic. How are you?
2: I'm fine, actually. Thank you. It's been a bit of a busy week here at Car Dealer because it's it's deadline week. Which oh, wow. um, back in the the days when I was first here at Car Dealer magazine, we 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 do nothing for three weeks and then then just you know, <laughs> we work very hard during deadline week. But now, as I'm sure regular listeners will know. It is a proper, full-on news organisation now here at Car Dealer Magazine. And trying to find the time to do a magazine whilst covering all the daily news is very, very difficult. So me and the team have had quite a lot of sleepless nights this week. So mostly due to the heat, actually, not due to the workload. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so the magazine's out today. If you're a Car Dealer member, you can uh, sign in and read the magazine. And I uh, really do hope that you like it. If you don't, I don't want to hear from you
1: fair enough it does look very good is it the Range Rover on the front I imagine
2: that it is a Range Rover on the front but I think people should be reading it purely because there's some lovely photos of a 1973 Mazda in it in the magazine I see. that's this is that's, that's, that's the best thing about the mag to be perfectly honest with you
1: okay well if that's not enticing enough head over to the website and have a look uh tackling the judging duties this week is James Vaughan co-founder of Trade to Trade how are you
3: Oh, I'm thanks. Yourself?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I'd imagine most people are aware of um, Trade to Trade by this point. But... We, we hope so. <laughs> Just for the benefit of anyone who's been living under a rock for the last um, four years or so, can you give us a quick overview of what Trade to Trade does?
3: Uh, well, Trade to Trade was founded out of a, a desire to uh, facilitate a sale between uh, traders to traders. Uh, we know there have been several different platforms in the past, but we thought we'd make it more social media concentrated. Mm. And that's how we started, We're actually, with a group on Facebook. And then eventually we evolved into an app and then a web app and, and website. Um, we've, we've connected around about 20,000 traders mm. in one, one group, one social area. And I think we, we, we offer... Trade to trade vehicle sales without any fees. Mm. So a small monthly subscription for complete access to the entire platform. Well, I think so far we've saved the industry around about fifty million in fees.
4: It's not
1: bad going. I mean, twenty thousand. You say twenty thousand. Twenty thousand traders there. That's yeah. it's four years. You're four years old, aren't you? From yeah. Um, yes. yeah. yeah. I mean, that's incredible growth, really.
3: It, it was crazy, it was exponential. It just came out. The original idea was um, to create a small community to sell cars to because I could always, sell, I could always get trade cars from local dealers and I had a, I could count the traders that I knew that would buy from me on one hand. Mm. It just became something that everybody seemed to want.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, if there's one thing people need, it's stock, and that is – <laughs> definitely the case at the moment i mean every dealer that we speak to um is is struggling with one thing and that is stock
2: now well, no, that's exactly that's that's exactly what i was going to say because you know we know how difficult it is to get stock at the moment but particularly quality stock mm. and cars which um dealers feel as though meet their their standards their 4 court standards um so by having a, an app a, a service, which makes facilitating trading stock um, easier, dealers must be absolutely loving that at the moment, James. Oh,
3: it's, it's, it's honestly, I, I, I always I remember the first time after, the, when we returned to, to no, some sort of normality after lockdown, bear in mind, we, we launched the, the app in the first weeks of lockdown thinking, well, what's the worst could happen? Uh, let, let's go for it. And when we, we returned to uh, the odd physical auction that you could attend, I, I remember guys coming and taking selfies with us and saying that we changed their business. Everything that they do, they, they've saved so much money. The way they do things have changed. Some guys even created new businesses, left the places they worked to literally start their own trading business because of trades to trade, which I find absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, it's it's amazing when people mm. come. I mean,
1: it's heartwarming stuff, really, isn't it? You yeah, great.
3: Right. We're very proud of our awards that we've won over the years. Hmm. Which again is
1: um, yes, yeah, several from us. We should yeah, say yeah, yeah. No, oh, I was I was too <laughs> Yes, I'll write that down. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. I just have to make sure I grab myself here with you, James, at the uh, the Youth Car Awards this year. That's- yeah definitely
3: we're bound to be there so we'll be we're, we'll be doing um, the Monte Carlo trip for Bangers for Ben as well this year
1: ah yes fantastic
3: so we went last year around around the UK but we're looking forward to going overseas this time
1: hmm yeah I'm sure everyone is you know have you got,
3: have you
2: got your James Bond costume ready James James yeah, I think
3: mine's more like uh, Doctor Evil to be honest but, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> whatever floats your boat you know <laughs>
3: Now we, we're, yeah, we, we like to go over the top with costumes. So I'm looking, for, looking forward to seeing what we come up with.
1: Mm. Just before we move on, I was just going to ask you know, um, from your point of view, from where you're sitting, you've got a great overview of um, how things are in the market at the minute. Have you seen any kind of particular trends? Is there a particular type of car that's really doing well, not doing well? You know, how's diesel um, going, for example? Is it-
3: it's funny you should say, because the, the, the cars that you think would be the first ones to slow down
4: mm.
3: and people, I, I don't know how to explain it, but so within on, on a daily basis, we see up to 100 vehicles through the through the platform and overall platforms around about 250. And you get to see what's, what's flying out fast and mm. what's sticking around. And it seems that the, the high-end stuff is just going in seconds, and it's very strange to see that a car that's 10, 15 grand BMW might take a couple of days to sell, but if someone sticks on a Lamborghini at two hundred and forty grand, and it's sold within a couple of minutes. <laughs> it's it's very strange, and also the new stock. I'm sure no one needs to no no one needs to be told that new stock, um, sort of. Your 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 Porsches, your Land Rovers, that sort of thing, is just is just gone in seconds, and fetching a massive premium as well.
1: Mm. I can imagine. No, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I suppose it's it's a case of the cost of living crisis affects a portion of the population, doesn't it? And perhaps the Lamborghini kind of end, it's yeah. it's not really making an impact.
3: No, no, it is, and it's, uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to see. Mm. That, that people have been i mean, there's nothing wrong with it if you if you've got it, flaunt it, I suppose. But mm. um, you you see in the news on on the TV that people are struggling to make ends meet, and then next thing you know, you're seeing guys and and I've seen on the roads now there seems to be a lot more supercars and sports cars on the road than there were a few years ago. Mm. And people just decided that you know what, I've always wanted one, I'm going to have one now.
1: Yep, despite the petrol prices.
4: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Well, we'd better get on with it. Uh, so if you haven't listened before, uh, Batch and I have chosen our favourite stories from the Dealer website this week. And We don't know what each other has chosen, uh, but we're going to have a little chat about each one as we go along. Um, at the end, James gets to decide whose stories were the best and who is the winner. If you want to play along, you can tweet at dealermag and let us know if you think we've missed anything. Um, In our last battle, as far as I can work out, Batch was the winner. So regrettably, according to the bylaws of the podcast, I am bound to let him go first. So off you go.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll obviously try to uh, keep that record high today. Anyway, I'll stop um, basking in my own glory and move on. Um, So the first first story I'd like to start with, um, it's sort of in the same vein which james was just talking about um and it's the top 10 used models that saw the lowest price growth in june now this is um data take for water trader their latest retail price index and i was i took one look at this and i was actually very surprised because there are some cars on this list which i wouldn't have thought had a Um, negative price growth or or a very small price growth at all. So um, hopefully James hasn't seen this story this week and I was just going to sort of um, ask him if he had any guesses of the cars that um, had the lowest price growth last month. James, is there anything coming to mind that you might think performed sort of a little bit badly last month?
3: particular vehicle or by brand
2: particular vehicle particular well, no by brand so a make and model make and model um i
3: would probably say something like um i don't, I don't sound like i can be awful to any particular brand.
2: <laughs> don't worry i'm going to be awful in a minute so All right. well
3: you. i would probably say something in in a, a mazda
2: range um maybe yeah uh, say that well, well, there is, there is, uh, James. Yes, the Mazda CX-30 had a price growth of just 0.3% last month, which effectively, it didn't change at all, did it? But, um, but on this list, the things that surprise me, it's the high-end stuff. So it's things like the BMW 8 Series, which gr- price growth was minus 5.1%. I mean, if we're led to believe, which we hear every single month, that... It's the cars in the middle, in the middle, which are starting to look expensive. But the cars at the lower end um, are selling very well um, and their prices are fluctuating quite a lot. And cars at the top end, their prices are fluctuating quite a lot um, because of demand. Um, I find this quite surprising. The car that I didn't find surprising at all was the Mitsubishi Shogun Sport, which Mm -hmm. the price growth was minus 20.8%. God only knows why you'd want to buy a Mitsubishi Shogun Sport because it was a terrible car when it was launched, and it just continues to be a terrible car.
1: So And incredibly, um, the average asking price remains twenty nine thousand six hundred and thirty two pounds. I, I know. Thinking to myself, well, how much could that car possibly have cost when it came out?
2: Well, yes, and, and that did raise my eyebrows a little bit because I don't think they they, they really cost that much new. I anyway. think
1: they were more than we think they were. I think they were about forty grand.
2: So in the, um, in the
1: final days of Mitsubishi.
2: Yes, and I can, I can, I, I can, I can only dream of what I'd want to spend twenty nine thousand pounds more on than a uh, Mitsubishi Shogun Sport. But anyway, that's horses for courses. That's uh, the first story um, this week that took my, um, that, that took my eye really.
1: Mm. I mean, uh, just on this, I I have a similar story. I don't have this one, but I mean, I must slightly disagree. <laughs> disagree with you because i was going through this this list of cars and some of them cropped up um in the same sort of story that we did last month funnily enough from the uh the figures from the month before and i was looking at some of these cars and thinking well some of these are just kind of like the cars that you forget exist so you know the shogun sport is a prime example um i i don't think there are that many people desperate to go and buy a shogun sport right now you've got to have very specific usage needs haven't you like i've got a you know, uh, a horse box and I've got £29,000 to spend and I don't want a Land Rover. That's pretty much, or a SsangYong. That's kind of your usage case for that car. Mini Roadster is the second one. I mean, I think people forget the Mini Roadster exists. You know, you'd go and buy a mini four-seat convertible, wouldn't you, probably, if you wanted to
2: convert Wait, it. was a car that was never loved when it was brand new anyway,
1: was it? No, no, and it's perfectly fine. But, I mean, it's just it's an additional car that's forgotten about. BMW 8 Series, there's two different 8 Series in there, but that's the classic for me, giant BMW that will always lose lots of money. You know, you've got your 3 Series and your 5 Series and 4 Series and whatever, but the 8 Series is just far, so far up the range and had an asking price of about 90 grand or something, doesn't it? Um, it's, you know, there's a, it's a big money car that probably will depreciate like a stone. So I'm sort of not overly surprised about that. There's a few that um, did surprise me. I think the CX-30 is a bit of a surprise, but then it is at the bottom of the list near enough, i.e. it's not really lost that much money. Um, I mean, you do see a lot of CX-30s, and I think they're, they're pretty good, to be honest. Um, same with the Vauxhall Crossland. I mean, that's not really lost much money, 0.5% up or something.
3: I've got one in the stock.
1: Have you? <laughs> well, could well, no. it's grown 0.5%. <laughs>
2: Yeah, are your price are your prices in line though, James? Because the price growth is zero point five percent.
3: Yeah, I think I'm have to lower it by zero point five percent maybe. Then <laughs> I I only trade vehicles as well, so I I I, I don't really see much of the retail side. Mm. But yeah, I've, I've had one them for a few weeks. Um, it doesn't seem to be getting any traction. Funny so I that. cars. I was going to say that, and um, possibly something from the sort of Citroen C3 sort of area.
1: Oh yes, yeah, like an Air
3: cross. Yeah. I've Same thing really.
2: But anyway, so yeah, so that was my first story of the week. Um, probably it's probably about time that you had a go, John. What's
1: okay. You? Um, I'm gonna be very dull and go for the 10 used models that saw the biggest increase in growth uh, in June, just to get we, it out of the way.
2: Can we can we just have a disclaimer here? We have not <laughs> rehearsed this at all. Um, so it's just just a bit of a coincidence
1: really yeah i mean i'll get through this quickly because it's largely the same sort of story it's just it's interesting that the the same cars keep cropping up in these uh, lists again and again the ones that are rising in value sat alhambra renault scenic uh ford s max bizarrely ford fusion um i mean apparently that's worth 44 percent more than it was i don't know what the time period is last month Suzuki SX4 is the top, 82% increase in price. Suddenly everyone is desperate for a Suzuki SX4.
2: 82%.
1: 82%.
2: The thing I I don't understand about that, John, is we've been talking about the amazing um, appeal and uh, demand for MPVs the past two years now. And I could understand the reasons for it during the pandemic. I mean, there were many reasons. I mean, the most um, interesting, I remember being told, was the reason why MPVs were were doing well, because they've got the space inside. So you could have a driver driving it with a face mask on. You can have somebody in in row two with a mask on. And the, the, the likelihood of you catching COVID was obviously much smaller than you being in a smart car, for example, which is obviously is is true but it does seem to be quite extreme measures but i can understand why mpvs were popular during the height of the pandemic but we're two years on now and uh, why are mpvs still incredibly popular um no is it simply because there aren't any new ones um, that's
1: exactly yeah i'm pretty sure yeah. that's it. It, can be, it,
2: it can it can be the only reason can't it
3: i also i think that people are doing a lot more after the restrictions of of the lockdowns and and COVID, I know my, my own with my own family, we do a lot more than we ever did before. Um, just if, if it means just on, on a weekend, just driving out into the countryside and taking the dogs. So no. people and don't forget, people have all got the lockdown dogs now as well. So they need that bigger car.
1: That's true. That's very true. And then I think I think the other element is um. <laughs> I think they were just a little bit behind the increase in price on, you know, so obviously the pandemic hit, car prices went up because availability was low. So probably that Land Rover Discovery Sport with seven seats is now way out of your price range. So naturally people go, okay, well, what else is there with seven seats? Oh, okay. Ford S max. And then everyone floods to those. And that. By association goes up in price as well. It's just that they were more affordable in the first place. That is my suspicion.
2: Yes. And I think, um, I think the Seat Alhambra is actually quickly taking over the mantle from the voxels of fear, which of course, as we well know on this podcast, was the the, uh, the the craze of the past two years, where if you wanted an example of how crazy the youth car market was, you just looked at values of voxels of fearers Obviously not fire-damaged ones, but... um, but
1: No, which is most of them.
2: Yeah. Um, Over to you, Batch. Um, Right, my next story is is about dealership interiors. Now, before everybody switches over (laughs) to another podcast, uh, there is a point to what I'm saying. So this week we heard that Dacia has shown off its new eco-friendly look for dealership interiors.
1: Um, We're starting slow this week, aren't we?
2: Yes. Um, <laughs> they say that Dacia says the overall concept is functional, flexible, eco-friendly, and cost-effective. Um, so, so in fact, when you're going to be going into a Dacia showroom in the future, you're going to be bowled over by the um, the panels, the rugs, the flooring, the lights, and the paints because they're all recycled and sustainable. Um, it's a lovely idea. The pictures look absolutely gorgeous. Um, but my question is, um, do people really care? Um, no. Because sorry, it,
1: that, you continue. You
2: know, do people really care? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not having a go at Dacia here at all. Because every so often we hear a car manufacturer is launching a new dealership concept um, in the hope to make customers feel more relaxed, more you know, just to just, uh, give a different kind of look and feel to a dealership. But I do wonder if it's the creative agency who's probably tasked with 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 all of this, if they just they just get a little bit too excited about their, what they're doing. Mm. And the only people who actually care are the dealers who inevitably have to cough up and pay for yep. it all. Um, so I, I, I would be interested to know if anybody, a customer goes into a Dacia show and goes, oh, look at that, look at that look at that panel on the wall, that's made from recycled tyres. That's definitely going to make me um, more likely to buy a Dacia Duster. Um, It's lovely, Um, and like I say, it was a a news story we did this week, some lovely pictures, it's very interesting, but I struggle to uh, understand who really cares about it. Um, Obviously, you think the same, John, um, but uh, does anybody else sort of agree on that?
1: I'm going to hand over to James on that, because (laughs) I...
3: And it, well, it's always the sort of thing that um, if you make things look too expensive, especially in a when you're trying to sell something. My my, my father always said that uh, he never wants to turn up to his customers in a flash car because it, if he did turn up in a flash car, it, it, they'd think he was making too much money. Mm. So I think you can be too flash, but also you, you don't want it to be a messy. But it's a difficult one, really. It, yeah. But you need to find some common ground in the middle. Um, Dacia, uh, Dacia is um, they they're quite an up and coming brand. I think their, their vehicles are a lot better than they were. I remember one of my neighbours having a, a one of the old big square boxy Dacia Dusters uh, back in the eighties. And oh um, when I, when I think of that brand, I think of that car. But back in when we when we used to retail, we used to do really well with the four x four Dusters because they were very good well-made vehicle at a very reasonable price I think oh sorry
2: no carry on carry on
3: I I think that uh, if they want to smarten their appearance up with a a more sustainable look and a more eco-friendly ethos then I think all power to them really
2: I do I understand what they're trying to do and of course everybody is trying to come across as sustainable and as eco-friendly as possible at the moment but because everybody's doing that it just makes um it harder for a brand like Dacia to actually um stand out from the others when they launched in the UK 10 years ago I mean every you know merchant journalists raved about I mean you there were column inches and you know there were We even did a feature where we drove one around the country. It was, you know, Britain's cheapest car. And we loved the the value for money, the fact it was austerity motoring. We loved the fact that you went into a dealership and it wasn't all glamorous and um, fancy, Um, but it was just simple. Look, that's the sticker price, that's what you pay. Even the adverts said, you do the maths. And it was just very straightforward. By introducing things like this, okay, it's coming across as eco-friendly, but it's also bumping themselves up at the premium um, leagues, I think. And you look at the, the photos of the dealership and it doesn't look, uh, it looks quite posh, I think. So I, I'm wondering whether there's a, sort of a bit of brand confusion of where they're going, but... Um, I,
1: mm, I I would disagree in, if we're looking at the same photos. To me, it looks sort of, you know, it's recycled cardboard. We'll
3: have to look it at the photos, like, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> 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 sorry
1: but for viewers we'll describe them uh, you know there's uh, the stand-up signs that are obviously made of recycled cardboard there's some sort of thing made of recycled tires to me it looks quite um eh, what's the word quite well, back but what i was going to say is presumably I, uh, correct me if i'm wrong on this Dacia do not have do Dacia have their own dealerships as such now or are they still shared with renault
2: Both, I think it's both. I think most are are standalone. But I think posh was probably the wrong word. What I was trying to say is there's a there's um, sort of a, a focus on aesthetics and trying to make things look nice when, you know, it is a value for money brand. You mm-hmm. could say the counter-argument to that is their cars have all have also gone that way over recent years. You look at something like a Dacia Sandero, it comes with LED headlamps as standard, the interior is actually really nice, you know. So so it's probably in keeping with where the cars are going. My my point is mm-hmm. is, is Dacia straying away from what a, a, an image it's it's created, it's done a lot of work to create over the last 10 years, and, and where the people actually care about. Recycled floor tiles, you know. um I, I
1: don't know. I don't think they do care. Just to, on as a final note, no, I don't. I, I think, and you could apply this to any, uh any concept for a dealership like this, where you know, as you say, an agency go, oh, let us throw in some joie de vivre here, and da 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 da. Now, I don't think people care. I mean, you know realistically, when people go and buy a car, they they're looking at the car, they're not really looking at the environment. I think as long as it's got windows and light um, and space to open the doors and get in, I think that's fundamentally and a nice seat to sit on while it's being serviced. I think that's all you need. Um, and yeah, from a dealer point of view, it's frustrating to every, it seems like every 18 months, oh, we've got a new logo. Um, you're going to need to plaster these all over your building now. That will be £20,000, please. You know, that must be, so incredibly frustrating to suddenly be told. Um, So yeah, I I think there is an argument for paring it all back a bit. Whether this, I think this Dacia one is probably all right to be honest, but there is is an irony in them um, pushing the eco-friendly argument when they don't actually have that many eco-friendly cars at the moment. They don't have an electric offering as yet. There's this talk of this spring, is it called? Which I believe is like a based on a Renault Quid, which is a an Indian model that they've shoved a battery into. Um, but other than that, there's not a lot really going for Dacia in the eco um, dimension. I mean, they're recycled bits of Renault, you could argue, but not much on the green credentials.
2: No, and you're right. I mean, obviously, in time, they will become a, an all electric car brand, um, just like everybody else. But at the moment, when your product still have a value for money air i mean for instance the jogger is is you know is being touted as the best value for what well, the cheapest seven seat that you can buy if, if 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 that's the kind of market you're you're going for i don't think that market is necessarily interested in the fact that the paint on the walls has been sustainably sourced i think they, they are they're more interested in what they're getting value for money aren't they, they what they're getting for that for their hard-earned dosh so um i think it's just a bit of a confusion
3: really it it could be just a way for them to smarten up all the dealerships in line together and Mm. under the guise of an eco-friendly look that we want you all to change all your furniture and put all the same pictures on the walls and could be that sort of thing maybe
2: yes i'm probably just being way too cynical It's, uh, (laughs) it's it's a generous prerogative to be cynical and negative about everything so um There we are. Is it me now? Yes, it's you now. Yes, you're going to be more cynical cynical than me. Uh,
1: Not this exact moment. Um, I'm going to keep it Renault themed and go with uh, the story of dealer group Mackie Motors, who are a Scottish dealer group, um, taking Nissan and Renault to court for, and I quote, destroying its business. Um, This is all to do with. Um, a bit of a falling out, should we say, between the dealership and RCI, which is Renault and I assume Nissan's um, finance arm. So it's a kind of joint finance arm, I think. um And effectively, what seems to have happened is that RCI blacklisted or withdrew um, funding from Mackie because of this. Is what I find quite interesting about this. It's purely because of an article that appeared online making claims of money laundering in connection to the estranged wife of the dealer group's owner. So the argument in this particular case um, is that effectively RCI and Renault and Nissan have terminated, uh, well, RCI has cancelled its deal on the back of these, and I quote, unsourced allegations. So in effect... From from Mackie's point of view, what they are saying is that there's been almost there's been some clickbaity article, and off the back of that, they have lost dramatic amounts of business because RCI uh, won't support them anymore. Which I just thought was an incredible story, really in itself. Obviously, we do not, I should say, we do not have the full um, availability of the facts here, but it's it's an interesting story nonetheless. I'm hoping James Bachelor knows a little bit more about this because I am running out of words to say.
2: <laughs> well, I think um, I, I think we have gone to Mackie Motors and, and asked for a, a, for a comment on this, and um, I could be it could be entirely wrong, but I don't think um, they've got back to us on this. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I I found it a very confusing story um, and uh, one which I didn't entirely understand. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> good okay moving on no but but still even though i don't quite understand it because i can be quite thick at times um uh it's probably more a reflection on on me than than the actual story and of course the reporting by our um illustrious colleague uh, jack williams but um it was it was a surprising story and i just think you know occasionally these stories come along and you just think gosh how on earth has this happened really um so, uh, yeah, I don't know whether James has got anything to uh, to, to add on that. But, um, yeah, it's one which I, I, I'd be keen to hear Mackie's, uh, Mackie Motors' um, uh, view on. And and um, it, I think it's one to, to look out for in the future, whether there's any sort of comeback on, because, yeah, it is it is quite an interesting set of circumstances.
3: It's a strange one, though. It's funny how that these big companies now are turning to work uh, to, to the internet to google information about people uh, I had a similar experience myself um, I probably shouldn't really go into it but uh, <laughs> uh, when I renewed my insurance premium um, they asked me if I had any um, uh, bankruptcies count, or that sort of thing this is for for the motor trade mm. and I said no I'm not going to anything anything like that and they picked up on uh, an article in a local a local newspaper, like a sort of court report when someone had took me to court over a twenty five year old land rover defender that needed some welding surprisingly enough mm. um and the ja- there the, the, was the 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 they the one paid out five thousand pounds um but it made my insurance premium go up mm. because i got this i I'm not it's not like a um, no was it a criminal record it was not a criminal record mm. but they asked me those questions have you, have you, have you got criminal records no but because this was there and it was inv- to involving um, trading standards I think it was at the time uh, they had to increase my premium mm. which I found very very odd because mm. there was no record other than this article in a small uh, I think it, a small newspaper somewhere on so
1: Google, someone's found this effectively. Yeah. yeah, you don't. It's it's odd, isn't it?
3: But why would I, they? Why would they go looking for that?
1: <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? I want
3: to insure a car. I've not. I'm sure if, if they want to check whether you've got a criminal record, as means, that, especially as an insurance provider, you you surely have should have some way of finding that out. Mm. But I wouldn't Google
4: them
1: to see if they got a criminal record. Surely. Mm. I mean, it does make you wonder. If I probably there is more to this story than meets the eye and there is probably no i'm going to say hypothetically there might be more going on here and then it might be more reasons why rci uh severed ties effectively um the the allegation is slightly worrying though isn't it because it's yeah it's someone could write a story that is it could be false. It could be true, um, and then your a, a large finance arm cuts you off because of a thing that's written on the internet that can't necessarily be disputed about your estranged ex wife.
3: I mean, that's even worse. It's not even directly with the chat. It's it's an associate, like you say, an estranged ex wife.
4: Mm.
3: But there's, there's well, there's, there's strange things going on, I suppose.
4: Yep the
3: media right now about some of the the things that people are digging up on other people is unreal Mm
1: -hmm. well we'll move on before anyone
2: (laughs) James Batchelor okay well my next story is uh sky high car prices are number one priority for customers as cost of living spirals dealers tell survey now this is survey 52 dealerships Um, carried out by Close Brothers Motor Finance. Um, And they found that almost three quarters, 74%, put the cost of the car at the top of the list of customer priorities. So so essentially, number one customer priority at the moment is the cost of the car. That's their number one priority. Um, And elsewhere, 12% of dealers reckon that extras such as the sound system, or sat-nav, were most important, well, the same percentage believing that customers prioritise colour when buying a car it is quite an interesting, um, it's quite an interesting survey. Um, but also, and this is not a, not a criticism of Close Brothers here at all. But I, the, the thing that I, I came away from this is: isn't the cost of the car normally the number one priority of any <laughs> car buyer? Because I, I, I don't mean to come across as flippant and, and totally ridiculous here, but but, but the, the cost of a car is always, for me, the number one priority. Otherwise, I'd be looking at a Bentley. If I, I only could afford a Dacia, there's no point in me sort of considering a Bentley, is there? Now, I know I'm extrapolating that to to its utter extremes, but I just would have thought that the cost of the car is always the number one priority. I suppose the thing here is, is the size of the um of how big it's three quarters i mean that is that's quite a sizable number isn't it and and is this another sign that the cost of living crisis is starting to bite i don't know um we we do seem to be talking about the cost of living crisis a lot and quite often it's it's a thing that is bandied around and the actual data the figures yet uh, is too early to actually see whether that's actually happening so this could be an early sign that the cost of living crisis is having an effect. Um, but um, Close Brothers, they do say, uh, Lisa Watson, the director of sales at Close Brothers says, uh, dealers need to step up to the bat, ensuring that they have the right stock on their full court at a fair price and with a comp- comprehensive finance offering. Um, I'm sure they do. And, and as, we, as we've heard many times, uh, especially from Steve Corwood recently, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, dealers are well aware that they have to find the right stock is actually finding it is the problem isn't it um i I think for dealers who who are not concerned about what cars they put in their forecourt they might be finding it um quite easy at the moment but i i'm sure the dealers who have high standards and they need to find the right stock um it's 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 pretty difficult at the moment and um especially if they're confronted by customers whose number one priority is the actual price of it so um yeah that caught my eye um what do you think to that james
3: um okay i find it i say the price surely is the most important factor um and then if you can find the right color vehicle in your price range then i think that is that is that is the most important thing um I said the, the 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 shortage of stock at the moment is, is affecting all the prices. Like well, like you said earlier, that, that your if you got ten thousand pounds to spend a couple of years ago, and that ten thousand pounds not now doesn't buy you what temp, that what it did a couple of years ago. Yeah. And in some ways, I mean, some 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 cars are worth like i said. Some cars are worth now. Even my sister bought a car um, eighteen months ago. 14,000 pounds, and it's now worth 18,000 pounds but to create it in. So she's like over the moon. Mm. So that must be a- affecting, like I say, the cost of living crisis is really affecting lots of people in lots of different ways. And, um like I say, I- 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 color for me is-, is a
2: big thing. Uh, to, just on the subject of used car prices, um, I, it's it's obviously. Uh, you know, it's something we've been talking about for a long time, but you are very aware now of, of consumers. They everybody knows that their used car has gone up in value. All they've got the false belief that every single car has gone up in value. I mean, whenever when it, you know it comes up in conversation all the time, somebody says to me, Oh, you know about cars, you know. Um, you know, it's crazy that my voxel voxel Corsa 1.2 Envoy has has gone up in value, and it's just like not every car has and as we're seeing at the moment prices are softening and and it's decreases of certain cars so um, it is interesting how, isn't it how the, the, the consumer perception of things is always um, a couple of steps behind what's what's actually happening because um, I think for, for quite a long time in the early days of the pandemic when we were saying look prices are going absolutely through the roof, It wasn't a very well known thing. Um, So um, I I think it's going to take well, we know that it's going to take an extremely long time for used car prices to go back to to pre pandemic levels. They might not ever go back to those kinds of levels. But I also think the consumer perception of used car prices is going to take even longer to get back to normal because everybody is of the view that their car is worth a hell of a lot more than it was um, a year ago or two years ago. I think the,
3: the consumer now has become a lot more aware of what they're buying, be it any market. Um, I've seen on, on our social network um, quite often now that people are actually getting approached by um, buyers who have valued their cars on other platforms of what they would be worth as a trading and then basing their offer on that vehicle on, the, on, the, on the, that uh, said, I'm not saying the name, but on that, that platform. And I find that really, really strange that, well, hang on, it's, you've got it up for 18,995, but these guys are up for 15 and a half. it's like, they're not
2: I, selling it. You're absolutely right. And that was one of the quirks that we sort of reported on last year. I mean, I, I, I remember another weird uh, kind of uh, practice by some car dealers was they'd go on the likes of Kazoo, for example. And noticed that they the price of their cars was was a lot less than than the prices uh, are, you know on, on other sites, and, and were buying stock from yeah. Kazoo um to fill out their forecourts knowing that they could whack another fifteen hundred pounds on the, on the price of it. So it's just another weird quirk of the used car market, really. Last year, Now, and, and also I, I find re um the prices is, is
3: still. There's still fluctuations in prices in different regions, so mm. I sell. Um, I do. I, st- I still trade a little bit, and I sell a lot of my cars go down south. Still to this day, they go down south. I mean, it used to be a big thing back back in the the late nineties where you, you could buy and buy up buy cars up north and drive them down and turn a quick profit. But it's still still happening now.
1: That's interesting because I mean we're we are in the process of um doing this thing around auto trader we're doing a video about auto trader which will be out in the coming weeks but yes one of the things that we we talked about in this video is back in the old days how auto trader was so segregated across different bits of the country um and yeah you've got this this variance in price so we sort of you know we were wondering if that is still a thing evidently it is strangely because i suppose you know although you can go on auto trader and see a car is in Leeds and you're in you know portsmouth or whatever You've still got to get it from from Leeds, haven't you? So, there's still the internet, might make the advert available everywhere, but the car is still in one place and and, and you're in another. So, I suppose there can still be that element of difference.
3: Yeah. And people still don't like to travel when buying a car. I don't uh, you, you get, I reckon maybe 10, 15% of people still do, but most people want to go and buy something on the doorstep mm. that uh, they can go and have a quick look at. Um,
1: a today traveling up. to look at a car, I suppose.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think we're still a long way off, off of internet only sales. I know certain companies have struggled in recent months. Mm. With their, their model, shall we say? Yes. But, uh, it's, it's being able to touch a car and listen to the engine, see if there's any smells. Just all the things you've got to spend. If if you're using a car for work, you're spending half your life in that car physically the physical presence of buying that car is still a massive thing yeah
0: we'll be right back you want the best return from your advertising budget and cargurus piston heads are focused on the same goal with them you have access to millions of monthly shoppers across both sites connect with in-market high quality buyers today and turbocharge your digital forecourts For more information, visit dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and schedule a demo with their team. That's dealerpackages.cargurus.co.uk and tell them we sent you. Now, let's get back to the quiz.
1: Right, I'm going to move us along, if you don't mind, Mr. Bachelor. Um, I'm going to go for, on a similar note, used car supply may never go back, may never go back to pre-pandemic levels, warned remarketing body. Um again okay we, we see a this sort of story cropping up um, maybe every month um, because it's it's probably true isn't it but basically the further we go down the line this this statement becomes more and more true really so effectively this is the vehicle remarketing association um, and their chairman Philip who I'm sure everyone's heard of um, has come out with a few kind of statements along the lines of um, basically, Are car makers now they realise that there's more profit in selling fewer cars going to go back to the days of pile them high and sell them cheap? And they're probably not, which is, you know, is is a subject we've we've touched on before. One of the interesting things that he mentions, though, is whether everyone will every car manufacturer will follow this route because, you know, nobody, nobody wants to be a volume car manufacturer, really. They all want to be premium car manufacturers. You know, Ford don't want to keep making fiestas. They want to make nice big cougars and all these things with much more profit in than Vignale badged this, that, and the other. Um, but one thing that Phil has said is really the unknown variable in this situation is whether other parties will move into the space vacated by manufacturers who are reducing volume and take their place. So the question is, if, for example, Ford stopped trying to, you know, flood the market with cars... Will MG come along and go, hmm, okay, here's a, here's a nice opportunity and pump in hundreds and hundreds of MG5s and ZSs and whatever and we're back to the same situation that we were in? Or will they all carry on as they are? Any thoughts?
3: I, I think on that one, I mean, one of the things I'll take from that is maybe there is actually too much choice across these brands. Mm. Um, I mean, if you if you even down down to some of the more expensive stuff, the amount of options and the way you can there's not probably not one or two cars are the same on the road, because every this everything's an option. There's so many different things you can choose. But even like take take like I said, Ford. I mean, the sub the sub models within Ford engines, everything. This is why we've got such a big problem because there's too much to choose from. If they streamline things ever so slightly, say for instance the Tesla model, mm. very very minimal options there, and they're they're getting cars out the door. They really are. Um, I know they've got several factories and they've, they've like I say they've only got a couple of products, but that I think there is just I mean, when I was younger, my I had a BMW 3 series, that was my car. You could only have a three series, a five series, um. Then there was a one series, but now there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's there's too much, I think personally.
1: Yeah, I am with you on that one. And I, BMW and Mercedes and Audi are um, a really good example of that because they've sort of yeah, you're right. They've they've done the the major numbers as you would call it, and then they filled in the gaps, haven't they? Yeah. So does there need to be a is is a one series or a two series? sorry, not a 1 Series, an X1 BMW that different from an X2 for example, does there need to be an Audi Q2 and a Q3, is there a Q3 coupe thing? I mean, there's like, there's hundreds of them, you cannot I see The size you of a Corsa these days The size of a Corsa, did you say?
3: They're huge A course is as big as an Astra used to be I thought
1: Corsa got a bit smaller
3: Well, um, a, a friend of mine, we had a hire car the other day and it, it turned up with a that. But... I couldn't believe the size of the car. The engines are smaller, but mm. the car was huge. Mm. I like I say, with a with BMW and the X1, the X2, the X3, I've, if you see them side by side, there's just not enough in it between them, I don't think.
1: Mm. Just um, going back to the crux of the story again, the other thing I will mention is we we sit here kind of talking about, all oh, what's going to happen with, you know, what's going to happen for car dealers in terms of, um, if stock doesn't <clears throat> return quickly, and whether it's a positive or a negative or whatever. The other thing is, we, I certainly forget that there's a whole industry around remarketing of which, you know, you are part, which is affected by this as well. And, you know, less volume certainly has an impact at that end. Is it something that you you guys are worried about?
3: Um, it's, so... When we first, when we launched the the platform um, with the app, we had a a, a number in our head of vehicles we wanted to supply or help supply and vehicles and and members that were on our platform. Hmm. And because of the the short supply of these vehicles or throughout the industry and, and places to buy them from, we hit our one year target within the first six weeks. So the, num- the numbers are, have always been there. And actually, for us, in some ways, a sureness of supply is probably a good thing because um, people are looking more in depth where they buy from. Mm. And also, if you're struggling for stock, you, you'll, you'll try as many places as possible. So, as, as, a, as a, the more become available, then different other companies or similar companies might see less stock showing. I mean, I remember a couple of places that I used to buy and sell stock from before we set up um, trade to trade. And I look at their, the volumes that they've had. I've not looked at them for a long time, by the way, but I, bet I remember looking at them and seeing, well, there was nothing on their, on their on their site, on their network. Whereas we were listing more cars in a day than they'd had their entire week. So it was definitely something going on with that supply but yes so what, what to get back to your question it it could be a bit of a scary time if there are less stock and less people to put their cars on our side but that, that's down to us to go out and get those new those new vendors and get more people advertising their vehicles on our network
4: mm.
3: but people looking for them is a good thing
1: James Batchelor well
2: I, well, I do think um you, you know you made an interesting point um <clears throat> John when you said um you know is is there well it was philip wasn't it but, but um, I'll it, take credit.
4: Well,
2: yeah <laughs> um is is the place of these volume car makers going to be replaced by somebody else I think it is I think it is a, a, a potentially a major problem because obviously electric cars they will come down in price in the future. Um, you know, battery technology will get bigger and better and cheaper and what have you. But I can't see um, a situation, even in ten years' time, where suddenly car manufacturers are going to turn around and say, "Oh yes, well, you know how it was laughable how you could you could spend twenty eight thousand pounds on the Ford Fiesta a few years ago." Um, we we also thought it was ridiculous, and so we are going to reduce the prices of our cars back down to what it used to be a few years ago where you could easily get into it i'm just picking the ford fiesta for example here i'm not singling mm. out ford but you could pick up a ford fiesta for, for 12 000 pounds and now i think you know the starting price for one of those is probably eighteen thousand or something you know and that's if you can get hold of one so i i think potentially there is a big problem further down the line where the brands that people consider to be value for money you know the commonplace brands where you know for there's a ford deal on every single street corner that was always the sort of the 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 perception wasn't it we are potentially uh facing a future where, where that's not the case so um we've always said you know, the chinese threat for example but i, I think there could there could be um an opportunity for brands which we aren't familiar with coming in and and and, and effectively mopping up because not everybody wants to buy a used car and 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 people do want to buy a brand new car but they haven't got the 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 funds to to pay let's face it exorbitant prices for new cars at the moment i mean new, new cars are not cheap are they and i know people buy cars on finance these days but but having you know but still the prices of new cars is ridiculous and uh and I, and I think, I think that, you, that is an interesting point. Are we going to be facing a future where um, new brands could come in and, uh, and take over from, 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 the, uh, from the outgoing legacy brands? I mean, we've spoken about it on the podcast before. But this whole question of where these legacy brands, where they will fit in the hierarchy in the future, is one that I find absolutely fascinating. And uh, I think we'll find out in the next few years.
3: I think we're about to see a whole raft of new brands, especially from the Chinese market. I mean, you've got the the Chinese market, the one brand that I'll pick out is, uh, I think they're called uh, Neo. Mm. And their their range of vehicles, well, from what I've seen them, looks fantastic. So, but we're gonna get lots of similar, there's quite a lot of Chinese and uh, Middle Eastern brands. I think we're about to start seeing a lot more of in in the next few years, definitely. And the want- only reason
1: we haven't is because demand is so high for them in the Chinese market that the supply isn't there to actually bother setting up here,
3: is there?
2: Yeah. We're not wanting to go over old ground from a previous podcast, but I think it was either like last week's podcast, the week, week before when we spoke about the, the Wattcast survey that found that um, that despite the brands of Neo and what have you, the vast majority, this is according to one survey, but the vast majority of people brits have no idea what these brands are and um, it's it's something which um you know we as journalists and people in the motor trade talk a lot about you know the threat of these new chinese brands but uh, you know if people don't actually know what they are then then it's they're not going to buy their cars quite simply are they so um there is a huge opportunity for new brands to come in but also they've got to be mindful of 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 brands that are, are still struggling at the moment who have recently launched you know look at look at ds look at look at polestar we were talking to the polestar ceo today um, me and jolly ray and um and uh, yes they are, they are getting brand traction but it is a very very long road isn't it to launch a new brand in the uk that's trying to do something a bit different um but people simply don't know who you are so yeah yeah very very interesting times
4: <clears throat>
1: on that note is it you? I think it's your go. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, I've lost
1: count, by the way. I don't know how many stories we've done.
2: Well, I've got two more. So. Um, oh, excellent. So, it's near an hour. Yes, I know. I know. Um, so my so this story is about um, the lawsuit against Mercedes Benz. Um, it's begun in Germany over you 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 guessed it Dieselgate allegations. Um, so Mercedes Benz are facing this huge lawsuit. Um, and um, this particular consumer protection group is trying to prove to the Stuttgart court that Mercedes knew what they were doing and knowingly deceived customers. Um, I'm, I'm not going to be si- I'm not going to sit here and, and defend Mercedes-Benz because I don't know what's gone on. They may very well have uh, done something wrong here. The reason why I've brought this up is because this story has come up again this week, and that's the very point. It keeps rumbling on this, doesn't it? On and on and on. I mean, when did diesel gates happen? It was I think it was like October 2015, wasn't it? Um, and it was. I mean, you could say that Volkswagen unfairly took the can on this, because if we are led to believe quite a lot of manufacturers have been doing this, um, although yes. it hasn't been proved. Um, but it just does seem to be, and it really is becoming the automotive equivalent of the PPI scandal, isn't it? And I'm not saying that, that people are wrong to claim uh, compensation. Um, but from my personal experience, and my personal experience is probably different from everybody else's, but sometimes this conversation comes up, uh, people ask me about it. And and quite honestly, people do say, "Look, I didn't buy a car. I didn't buy that particular brand of car because of 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 um, what the manufacturer was saying about it when when they bought it." And I I, I, and I do sold
1: the car. Yeah, exactly. yes, and I
2: I do wonder how much it is you know this is of people see the I mean, TV is full of these adverts at the moment. Have you been misled when you bought your diesel car? I mean, it's all over the internet, isn't it? Whenever you watch a video on YouTube, there's some kind of advertisement. And I do wonder whether it's that people watch those adverts and say, oh, yes, well, that's terrible. Oh, yes, well, I feel aggrieved and I'm going to do something about it. Do people really do... Are people really aggrieved by this? I'm sure there are some, but I would... I would I would guess the vast majority of people aren't aggrieved about it. So um, I don't want to go down this whole line. And I know people might listen to this and they may, might start sending in very angry letters. Well, they would if we lived in 1956. But um, uh, yeah, I, I don't yeah. want to go, I don't want to go down that line. The reason why I brought this story up is it just feels like it's rumbling on and on and on. And I do sort of look forward to the day where we don't have to talk about it anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I unfortunately think uh, this kind of thing is going to carry on forever. This is just an ambulance chasey kind of um, lawsuit, isn't it? I mean, okay, it, there is there may well be uh, some... Obviously, there's some substance to a lot of these allegations, I would assume, because, you know, VW settled out of court, didn't they, last year, all these sorts of things. You know, and it's not uh, it's not an, an unserious matter, because... Horrible particulate matters coming out the back of your car when they're not supposed to is not great. Um, however, this is just... its I sort of roll my eyes like you, as you have, at all these sorts of things, because its you see it in every industry. You see, uh, you know, every couple of months there's a story along the lines of, if you've bought an Apple iPhone in the last six years, you might be entitled to compensation as part of a giant lawsuit. And what you're entitled to is about £10. Um, it's just, you know, these giant lawsuits trying to squeeze money out of corporations um, over relatively minor things, I sort of think. You know, this is not a case of... I don't think this is Erin Brockovich-level issue, is it? This is over, and I quote, how many cars is this over? 50,000 cars, Mm. which is not a huge amount. Cars Mm. are generally quite polluting anyway. You know, 50,000 cars pumping out a a bit more NOx than they were perhaps supposed to. It's it's not in the grand scheme of things the worst thing to happen in the entire world, is it? Nobody's had poisoned groundwater, you know. It's it's we're not that we know, but yes. As far as we know, yeah, Yeah. this is not part of the situation. It's not. I don't want. I don't mean to talk down the problem, but it's it's a it's a minor thing that some uh, some law firms have thought. Oh, we can make a quick buck out of this.
2: Yeah, and I I I do think you have to be. And I don't mean this, this nastily or rudely at all, but I do think you have to be a certain mindset to um, sign up for, for, for these um, lawsuits and try and get some compensation. I think w- when I say um, you know, this keeps lumbering on, I think, unfortunately, it's going to carry lumbering on because we've got a cost of living crisis. And I do think that if people can see any opportunity to make any kind of money or some kind of compensation, um, they're going to take it but I just think it's a sad thing where you know, you're know, you absolutely right John that you know we we do seem to be living in a society or in, in times where you know you can get money out of anybody and somebody is to blame for everything and mm-hmm. there is money to be made on everything um so um I don't I don't I don't want to cause you know come out with with some with um you know, really contentious things, but it's just again, we we we've, we've written a story about it this week because it was in the headlines, and it just seems to be something that is continually makes the headlines that there is a car manufacturer that has done apparently. It's assumed, and it's you know, it's believed that they've alleged, they've, yes, alleged that they've 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 done something bad with diesel, and um, and it just it just just keeps rumbling on, doesn't it?
4: I
1: will say the final thing on this. In, strangely, it's only two cars they're alleging. It's the GLK, which we did not get here, which was a kind of boxy little 4x4 thing, and the GLC. Those are the only two cars this lawsuit is circling around. And I would I would put it to the panel here that perhaps if they're alleging Mercedes have fiddled with these two particular cars, they have probably allegedly done it to all of them. So does that mean there's going to be another lawsuit for the C-class and then another for the E-class and then another for the GL-A and, the, and so on and so forth? Or <laughs> Because, I mean, they're not... They're just the, the middle-of-the-range cars, Those so They're not tiny. They're not massive.
2: Well, put it um, this way, the GLK and the GLC didn't have their uh, unique range of engines, did they? So, no,
1: no, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I... I will also make another, I'm going to make a prediction here. Uh, here In a decade's time, there's going to be another one of these, and it's going to be, I was missold an electric car that does 200 miles and it only does 120.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah,
4: yeah.
2: Yeah. Let me know where to sign up. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps you could start it. It could be the trade-to-trade lawsuit. How about
3: that? It's funny that John should mention that by the time um, anybody that benefits from these sorts of class action... Um, suits, it, it's it's in the pennies, it's in the pounds and um, the, the only people that benefit from this sort of thing are the the, the big solicitors firms, the big lawyer firms that are organising the whole thing mm. X amount of million pounds paid out and by the time they've taken their fees everything they spend, spent it, it's, it's minimal, it really is minimal what, what the end claimant gets shall we say.
4: Yeah yeah, and so if it's really
3: benefiting. Like you say, the PPIs, the well not not Earon not Brock, but Erin Bokovic great film, but again, it's about something that affected people's lives immensely. And is a little bit extra smoke on a car that pollutes anyway. Mm. Is it a thing. But I didn't realise it was only aimed at the the GL, the G L E and the G L the, the G L K, was it?
1: GLK, yeah, which we didn't get here. That was left so like and right.
3: Maybe that's just the start. The start of bigger things. For right where well, that one worked. Let's try the E class. Let's try the C class. Let's try the big ones.
1: Horrifyingly, that is probably the case.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, just expect a whole load more of YouTube adverts talking about dieselgate. <laughs> <of games>. <laughs> Which is great for YouTube, sort of. You know, I, I tend to, when I've got the time, I tend to do a video and stick it up on YouTube. And occasionally somebody says, You do realize that there was a Dieselgate scandal advert right at the beginning of your video. And it's just like, Oh, God.
1: Oh, you're benefiting then. There we go. So that's who's getting the money from these things. I know. So I'm a bachelor of bachelor
2: YouTube, YouTube advertising, yes.
4: Mm. <clears throat> right.
3: I, I think you're right,
2: though, about the electric cars
3: because the, the miss-sold range is going to be a huge thing. Mm. There's so many factors that can affect it. Temperature. I, I had a Tesla uh, Model 3 um, in, 20, well, in 2020, and we bought two of them. My business partner bought, bought the same car, mm-hmm. identical in every way, and he got an amazing range, and I didn't. But it's down to the way you are driving. as we know. It's the same with a, a petrol car, with a diesel car. If you drive economically, you can get far more range out of anything. Mm. how you have them i've got a heavy force. so that's that's why i've got low range mm.
2: but the thing on that though is that it's it's a very apparent thing though isn't it you know we we've, we've all driven electric cars where there's the claimed figure and you get considerably less than that and that's that is due to a number of factors but with the dieselgate scandal correct me if i'm wrong it was due to too much co2 being emitted from the from the exhaust pipe and that's something which which, which yes which um was only measurable in a laboratory i mean who has Knox uh, testing equipment readily to hand so people only became aware of it once once there was this investigation and it hit the headlines with electric car with electric cars everybody knows that you don't get the range so you know if 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 that's the case then there's potentially going to be an enormous lawsuit isn't it because everybody knows it doesn't they but well, um, you, you say
1: everybody knows it i think it's that kind of, um, you know, it's one of those things that floats around along the lines of, oh, you know, electric cars, more CO2 to produce than petrol or diesel cars, which, yeah, okay, is is also true um, in one regard. But if you walked into a dealership tomorrow and you went to go and buy a, I'm going to use the example of a Mazda MX-30 for no particular reason. If you walked into your Mazda dealer and said, what range does this car do? They would tell you, according to WLTP, it does 130 miles. Would they also go, but <laughs> in winter it will not do that? For example, if you have a if you go at 70 miles an hour forever, it will not do that. If you turn the air conditioning on, it will not do that. And do they also say, okay, well, how long, how long does it take to charge? 35 minutes from 20 to 80%. Okay. Will it do that if the battery is cold? No, no, it will not. It will take about an hour and 40 minutes or something in my experience. You know, are all these very specific things being communicated? No, of course they're not because you can't go through every single scenario. But these things are, not in a way, a petrol car is not as complicated as that, is it? There's not as many. You get told it will, the, the figure is 45 miles per gallon. You probably, you can on any day of the year effectively roughly get the combined figure can't you if you drove like an absolute saint whereas an electric car a lot of the time you're it's out of your hands completely you know it's up to the elements as to what you can actually get far more than it ever has been in a petrol diesel car so
2: which is is why the word claimed takes a lot of heavy lifting doesn't it because if you say something is claimed to do something and it doesn't it but it's it's where it's is how legal is that term, isn't it? And that's what's you know, if there if there is in ten years' time, if there is some kind of lawsuit or something, I think the word "claimed" will be. Well, if, if you're if you're claiming something, then mm. is
4: that
2: is that artificial advertising? Are you implying that it, it could actually reach that? So,
3: well, we could probably talk.
2: We could probably talk about this for hours, can we? But um, but well, yeah. talking
3: about the range that the range is based on a hundred percent battery, so mm. 280. 280 miles to a charge but they say whatever you do don't charge it 200% unless you really to.
4: <laughs> yes
1: yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, right I'm going to move us on before we get onto the thorny issue of electric cars have you, have, uh, you to,
2: have you got two more stories left I
1: think? can certainly find two more yes, yes. just trying uh, to through them I think. okay well I'm going to go with Nissan to sell off the
2: Westway dealership group I'm glad you did because I feel as though we should have made reference to this and I haven't so mm. well done well, good, you can do all the talking then. I mean, no, no, the, no, you carry on. The
1: basic gist is that Nissan has owned the Westway Group. Uh, is it since its inception? or I mean, I assume it's... I've always assumed it's named after the one on the... Is it the A40? What is the Westway? And kind of, uh, you know, near Hangar Lane. I always assumed that was the first site, and that's why they're called Westway. But there's lots of sites all over the place. Birmingham, Wolverhampton, Rochdale, Stockport, blah, 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 Aldershot, Basingstoke, Southampton... I mean, they're everywhere. Um, And Nissan has suddenly decided to get rid of all of them, effectively, and transfer them, well, sell them to other dealer groups around the UK. So there's no massive kind of, no one company is getting all of them. 13 sites, oh, there's 13 sites in total. Yeomans will get a few of them. Glyn Hopkins will get a couple. Um, There's quite a few being bought as a group, but I'm not quite sure who buy. Um, But it's all part of, uh Nissan recently outlined uh, a strategy for their dealer network, which in effect means a, making a bit smaller of their dealer network. Um, so you wonder if, I mean, I would assume that whoever's bought these dealerships has had a bit of reassurance from Nissan that they're not going to be the ones that are for the chop. Otherwise, that would be a bit awkward. Um, but you wonder why they've uh, why they've done this. The ideal network plan it's called. Sorry, you wonder if if this is Nissan mm. kind of just deciding. Do you know what? It's cleaner if we've got nothing to do with the dealer network, and then we can um, <clears throat> look at the agency sales model, um, or if it's just completely unrelated and they're just sort of decomplicating their assets. Yeah,
2: I mean, I I, I found this news very surprising this week. I mean. We we got we got sight of the internal document um, uh, uh, announcing it um, to the network, so we were able to, um, to to report on it very very in a very timely fashion, and it really did surprise me because we know that Nissan are looking to um, uh, cut their dealer dealer network down. They want bigger, better, and fewer sites in the future. Um, but I just would have thought that having your own network is actually quite appealing, I think. Um, so I, that's why I find it quite surprising. Um, but as we've seen in the past few years, yeah, Renault Retail Group, for example, Mercedes Retail Group, mm. you know, manufacturers are offloading their, their dealer group networks um, and they have become seen as, as, as costly and as, uh, you know, difficult. So. Um, I, I did find it very surprising, um, and um, I, I'm pleased to hear that those dealerships are have been snapped up and the staff are safe and what, and what have you. The, the next um, interesting bit of that story is who's bought the remaining dealerships, because we, we're led to believe that it's uh, one big dealer group has bought the remaining ones. Um, and uh, as soon as we know, we'll, we'll let you know. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It, that was that was probably the biggest story of the week really um very interesting yeah
3: it's strange because I, I I didn't realize that um, it was their own West I thought west Bay was like say, it was an, an, an independent selection of dealers throughout the UK mm. like also you' know, like so surely as a manufacturer to have control of your your marketplace to the end user is the best your 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 you're projecting yourself to that and you can then tell yourself exactly what you want them to say. You're in charge of the training from product knowledge to everything. Whereas if you're then selling it to somebody else and then they've got to say on, you don't know what they're saying to sell your product. You can focus on any one product because you own the dealership. Surely that's the perfect business model for a manufacturer.
1: I suppose the, the argument with this is... Um, Perhaps it's becoming increasingly difficult. I mean, I, I, I won't say the agency sales word again, but it's becoming increasingly difficult because to it, on the one hand, you if you own this dealer network, presumably, it, it all sounds very rosy, but you can't give them any preferential treatment. There's got to be this Chinese wall of um, you are treated Westway the same as Glyn Hopkins or any other um, dealer network or all the other dealers will be going, mm, hang on a minute. Is not very good, so it does put them in a bit of an invidious situation when they want to do things. Presumably, I'm trying to think of other manufacturers who still have dealer networks on their books. I mean, do Ford have any? They used to have do they used to have Haynes? I imagine that was that Ford? Yeah, they've got
2: they've got trust Trust, Ford, Ford. which, um, yeah,
1: hmm, yes, it'll be interesting to see whether that carries on going forwards and more people offload there. Networks. Do you have to see
3: manufacturers having their own online, um, a stronger online presence when buying vehicles?
1: Well, that is certainly the, the aim of a lot of manufacturers, isn't it? Mm.
4: Um,
1: and I think from their point of view, you know, as, as Batcher said, when we were chatting to Jonathan Goodman of Polestar earlier, they've only ever operated as an agency, um, I've said it again, sales model. And, you know, they see all the benefits of it. Um, because it, it makes things a lot less complicated. They're in control of the whole journey, aren't they? Um, anyway, this is a whole other subject, and we're running dangerously low on time. So I'm going to move us on. James, I'm Bass. just glad
2: you, I'm just glad you I'm just glad you brought it up because I i uh, realized it was off missing off my list and it's something i well, we should have
1: i mean obviously we got the important stories out like the increase in price of the suzuki sx4 so
2: well yes um, we're keeping keeping in the same vein as the important stories my final story is the um breaking news that um Mini's entire uk dealing network is of <laughs> approval from the dogs trust um, yes, it's true, ladies and gentlemen, Mini has become the first car brand to have its entire UK dealer network approved by the Dogs Trust. Um, 131 dealers have now been branded as welcoming and safe for pooches. Um, staff at Mini Dealers have gone through online training covering topics such as how to approach a dog, how to avoid hazards with for dogs and also to make Pets feel at ease. Um, I mean, it is. It is. We can sit here and laugh, and it is. It is. It is. It is. It is it's quite a, you know, a light-hearted kind of thing. But my uh, takeaway from this is, I don't have a dog. But I, I would imagine if I did have a dog, and I walked into a showroom, a mini showroom, and um, and the staff uh, starts to fawn over my dog or to be uh, very lovely towards my dog, I would imagine that um, I'd probably be more inclined to buy a car from that particular salesperson if they were you know, showing a lot of respect to my pooch um, and, and making it feel at ease and all this kind of thing. So I, mean, is, is, I know many of, have, have, uh, they've tried desperately over the past year or so to come across as very dog friendly and all this kind of thing. And this is probably the, the highest accolade that they could get Um, in the dog world Um, but I I, I think I don't know I I might be talking complete rubbish here but I just think it's interesting if you're if you're trying to make your someone's pet feel more at ease I think I think it it goes without saying you're more likely to buy a car aren't you because that dealership is being nice towards your your animal so um, that's 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 that's, that was my final story and that's that's what I thought
3: how how, uh... Has
2: there been anybody before them that's had this award? Um, uh, I think
1: I, I, mean, think I don't know. First. I will say I don't know if it's an official seal of approval from Dogs Trust that they have a you know rubber stamp that they come and go. Yes, you are dog friendly here. I don't think there's been. I mean, there's 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 dog related things crop up every now and again. You know, like you see um, car manufacturers do sort of dog related special editions and all this that and the other. And, you know, uh, kits and things like you can buy a ramp for your Nissan X trail that's dog friendly and all this, that and the other. Um, but no, I, I don't think I don't think it has been. I think this is it, the first. It, it,
3: it's just funny because a, a local card, a card dealer friend of mine, he wins um, a, 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 like a, an award seal of approval nearly every year for the last several years. And I asked him how he managed to win it every year. And he said, because no one else ab- applies for this award. <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's like I say, it's, it's a great recognition for um, that they are dog friendly. But I've never found it an issue. Really. I think
2: it. I think it would be interesting. Um, and if any mini dealers want to talk to us about it, it's off the record or anonymously, then please do get in touch. But we know how difficult it is for salespeople to be trained these days. Um, on a variety of subjects, not least to the fact that their product knowledge has got to be so vast these days because there's so many cars they've got to sell. But is this seen as I mean, we're all looking at, myself, oh, that's fantastic. That's lovely. Oh, that's how cute. How quaint. Oh, lovely. But for, if you are a salesperson, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is yet another thing that I've got to learn and I've got to, you know, I'm going to feel a complete chump um being in the dealership and trying to put someone's dog at ease Um, and that's if somebody actually comes in with a dog I mean I've spent lots of times in in um, many hours in car dealerships and I I I can't really recall a time where someone's actually brought a dog in to the showroom I was Um, gonna say
1: as uh, not a dog owner but as a mini owner um I assume you're still a mini owner it is I am somewhere i am one of your many homes but <laughs> what kind of dog would
2: fit into your mini um probably um a shih tzu or something a very right. a, a shih tzu is very small uh, yeah we've know. got two
3: but two little shih tzus
2: are they are they small james
3: yes they are um well one's a pomeranian shih tzu cross another one is a a poodle shitsu cross.
2: Well, it? that means absolutely nothing to me. Yeah. Um, but it, as long as they are small, they would fit into my Mini Cooper S. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're small and very demanding dogs. So okay. I don't think
3: my dogs would be welcome in any Mini dealership. <laughs> yes. No matter how small these dogs are. And they wouldn't go anywhere without their mother, anyway. Um, so they don't like me at all. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, so that was my that was my final story I just think it's it's uh it's, it's just a quite a, it's quite an interesting little nugget of news this week and yes and if if any dealers do want to get in touch with us anonymously of course um, we'd be very uh pleased head
1: on you. the dog and bone Oh. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: you... I will say I mean I, I I can tell this wasn't written this story on my website wasn't written by uh by our resident sub-editor John Bowman because it would be absolutely full of puns and Who's there's not this? a single one. Yeah. Right, has anyone
3: got a lead on this
1: story? Uh, oh. There you go. <sighs> right, I'm going to move us swiftly on from that. <laughs> um, on a, on a similarly light hearted but bit more serious note, which is Hendy Group installing defibrillators at six of its sites across the south of England which, on the face of it, does not sound very exciting. But... It is a very important thing to have. Um, as we've seen recently, there was a story a few weeks ago um, where a gentleman who'd taken his car into a it was a Nissan dealer in Crew um, suffered cardiac arrest while he was waiting for service or something, and he was saved by uh, a member of staff who, as it happens, knew how to use the defibrillator that they had on site. So, you know, that is an example. That's a real life example of a defibrillator being used in a dealership and saving someone's life. So there's no reason, really, not to have these things um, at least somewhere on on your premises, apart from the cost of them, obviously. So Hendy Group has spent thirty six thousand on these devices at six its sites. But I mean, you sort of think at the end of the day, you can't really put a price on saving someone from having a heart attack, can you?
2: No. So, I, I think it's great. It's great that Hendy have done it, and um, I'm glad that it's made the headlines. Um, but I just think it should be as necessary equipment as a first aid kit. I mean, yeah. it should. It should yeah. it, you know, ideally, every dealership should have them, really, or or there's one nearby. So um, hopefully, uh, we we do get to a time where this kind of thing isn't in, isn't in the headlines.
3: They are. They're surprisingly inexpensive to install as well. Um, I, think I think they're between about fifteen hundred pounds and two thousand pounds mm. installed. Um, but one thing we'll say is that um, if they have got all these in their sites, have they got sufficient people trained to use them as well?
4: Mm.
1: Well, I would say that's more important than training yourself to be friendly to dogs. Well,
2: hope, hope, hopefully, people's heads aren't full of how to be nice or to how to approach a dog. Um, <laughs> they are able to also take on board some more training, which is. When, when a defibrillator is, is needed. But yeah, you make a very good point there, James. I mean, because that's, that's always the problem, isn't it? I mean, you know, uh, you, know you, can, you can you can have fire extinguishers in a, in, a, in a place, can't you? But do people actually know how to use them? I mean, it's all, it's all well and good having the equipment, but you've got to make sure that people are trained regularly on this kind of equipment, haven't you? The,
3: the only reason I say it is because across the road, they had a recent fundraiser for uh, the, the, the local cricket club across the road from my house. They raised some funds for a defibrillator, and obviously we made a donation. And I said, um, "And does anybody know how to use it?" And no one said yes. I thought it was yeah. a so, something that we're going to try and help them with. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, definitely two parts to this, isn't there? Yeah, and it's yeah. regular training as well. So you need, and also in a dealership, you have to have two or three first aiders. So you probably surely would have two or three people trained to use it as well mm-hmm. but there's some ongoing costs there definitely
1: absolutely good it's me have well,
2: we actually got to the end of, the, of this we have after an, an hour and 20 course. minutes
1: or something yeah. right so uh james before we ask your verdict is there anything you think we've missed
3: i know, no i some great stories there actually one or two that i was that i hadn't read and I was quite interested to hear about and um, one or two, uh, well, the, the one about the dogs was uh, <laughs> particularly informative.
1: Oh, no, I can see where this um, is going, already.
3: Yeah, no, there were, there were some great stories. Um, I'm glad I, I'm glad I uh, came on today.
1: Lovely, excellent. Uh, well, I'm going to have to ask you, who do you think is the winner?
3: Well, I'm going to have to go with you, John, and your, um, your comments about uh, the, the, the used stock supply and remarketing, because...
4: Yeah, preaching to the uh, choir. It's,
3: it's something close to my heart, and uh, it's something that I'm involved with on a daily basis. And it was most relevant to me, I think. Sorry, James. Wow, he looks yeah. very disappointed.
2: Don't worry, I won't be coming over for my selfie with you. Use caravels. <laughs> <laughs> there we are.
3: Sorry, James, you're breaking up. I, I'm gonna miss that. <laughs> I can't wait for a selfie with that.
2: <laughs> uh, it's very fun, well done, James Bachelor very well done very well done john
3: thank very you well done. thank you kindly uh, it was a pleasure speaking to you both today
2: uh, thank you james
1: well, yeah and you and Lovely you. having you on thank i was you. just gonna say all that's left is for me to say thank you james for coming on and judging today it's been great to have you on and hope you'll come back again we not schedule off um, no, no, no. excellent and thank you as well to batch for competing if not as not as well as i did uh, just you know filling out the numbers um, and thank you for listening we'll be back next week for another episode so make sure you're subscribed or whatever the word is on spotify sure some word like subscribed so you can be notified when a new episode goes live uh if you're if you are listening on spotify don't forget you can swipe up now and vote on who you think won obviously me uh if you want to check out the stories we've mentioned today you can click the links in the show notes below or head to cardiummagazine.co.uk where you'll find those stories and much more Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye.